This morning, we're glad to have you, and we're really glad to have all of you folks live. And uh, on this Mother's Day, this morning, we're going to talk about the fruit of faithfulness, and uh, that's a appropriate thing to talk about. I like that video, and um, I really like the way it addresses all the different aspects of motherhood. And as you moms in the room know, and there's several of you, uh, that uh, you know, it's one thing to become a mom; it's another thing to actually. It's one thing to have children; it's another thing to raise them. <laughs> so. Uh, there's a lot to being a mother, and the reality of motherhood, it can also, it can be painful, it can be pleasurable, uh, but it's certainly a calling uh, that uh, we appreciate today on Mother's Day, and so I want to honor you moms, and uh, I know there's a few of you in the house, and if you're online with us, we want to honor you as well. I don't know if you need to stand up at home, you may already be standing, but if you're here in the house, please stand up, and uh, my bride and my daughter want to come by, they're going to give you a little gift and uh, this is an appropriate gift for Mother's Day for this time. Uh, it is a, it's hand sanitizer <laughs> and uh, thieves oil hand sanitizer. And so uh, we appreciate you. And, uh, and I'm going to give you some applause from me this morning. So, yeah. So, yeah, it's awesome. Uh, we need the applause track during the second service. But uh, uh, this is an exciting day. It is good to have you guys here. It was good to have folks in the first service. We had uh, quite a few folks here, so I was encouraged in that, and I'm encouraged to have you here today. I'm encouraged for those that are watching online. I hope that you're encouraged on the, on the uh, not just because it's Mother's Day, but also because it's the Lord's Day, and we're able to uh, fill, fulfill the Lord's will and coming together this morning. So, um, and just a reminder, don't that, that hand sanitizer is in like a lip gloss bottle, so don't accidentally... <laughs> Put that on your lips. That would be rough uh, with the, you know, the alcohol or whatever's in that thing. So, at any rate, uh, we're glad that you're here this morning. If you have your Bibles, be, please turn to the book of Hebrews, chapter 11. And um, and so, if you happen to have a HBF Bible, I probably don't need to mention this today, but uh, at the, on this service, but we're on page 1611, and uh, it is good to have you back. I was encouraged. We had two guests, first time guests today. Uh, in our first service, and if you're joining us for the first time online, we're glad to have you this morning. We're in the book of Hebrews, which is toward the back of your New Testament, and we're going to be in the 11th chapter of Hebrews. And uh, and so motherhood uh, is uh, is very important. You know, we're having family-style worship for the next few uh, weeks for the month of May. It's going to be difficult even to be a mom at church. You know, it's kind of nice to come to church and say, whew, I'll get to sit for at least 45 minutes, an hour, and... and uh, I get a little bit of break, but not not for the next month. So moms are still under the pressure, and, and uh, but you know when you think of Mother's Day, you think of this uh, this image, right, of what it's supposed to be like. I think we, yeah, it's supposed to look like that, you know, smiley mom and kiddos. But after being in in uh, quarantine for a few months, you may look a little bit different, you know. And uh, reality of motherhood is a completely different thing, uh, as uh, you know, uh, it often looks more like uh, that mom. Uh, and that's how things run around the house. It may even get a little crazier than that, right? So, so we understand that on Mother's Day, uh, that being a parent and even being a child can often be difficult. So this morning I want to give you some encouragement from the Word of God, uh, especially if you're a mom, in the way, by the way of a, a lady named Jochebed. Uh, Jochebed is the mother of Moses, and the conditions surrounding Moses' birth were not ideal <clears throat> from a human standpoint, but, uh, but for the faith-filled mother... Nothing is too hard, right, for God. Nothing is too difficult for God. So uh, this morning, I'd like to just stand, and uh, I know I just had your mom stand, but if you could, if you could uh, stand with all of us together again, I want to read Hebrews chapter eleven and verse twenty-three. Hebrews eleven and verse twenty-three. 
And this is our text. We'll be going back to Exodus here in just a moment. So uh, if, you're, if you have your Bibles ready, you'll want to be ready to go back to Exodus here in just a moment. But Hebrews 11, verse 23, the text says, By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hid three months of his parents because they saw he was a proper child and they were not afraid of the king's commandment. Heavenly Father, I thank you and praise you this morning for the Lord Jesus. Thank you for the opportunity to gather together and worship. Thank you for honoring life, honoring others. Thank you for those that uh, are joining us uh, here in the building. What a blessing it is to assemble together. And thank you for those that are joining us online. We pray a blessing on the reading and the hearing of your word. We pray a blessing upon mothers and grandmothers and great-grandmothers and uh, those that are um, uh, with child. Lord, we ask a blessing on the reading of your word, the preaching of your word, and most importantly, the living of your word. May we be faithful and fruitful. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So Hebrews chapter 11, we see here in this text, and by the way, be turning back to Exodus chapter 2, that God says that, that uh, they were not afraid of the king's commandment. That's really what he notes in verse 23. This, this, uh, there was a law that was fairly new in the land when uh, Aaron and Miriam's parents, Jochebed and Amram, uh, gave uh, birth or were conceived with Moses, uh, and it was enacted just, it had to be just near the time of his birth. Uh, and so before, sometime after his brother Aaron was born, some think that was about three years difference, and I don't really know uh, for certain, but uh, they definitely, uh, things were changing in the culture. Things were changing in that time uh, of, the, of the kingdom of, of Egypt. So the children of Israel had gone from sojourners in the land of Egypt to slaves without even really uh, a lot of notice, right? One day that they have, they have uh, in, in the, in the, I was going to say in the White House, they have in, the, in the Pharaoh's house, they have the second in command is Joseph, and things are going great, and they're doing wonderful. And then all of a sudden, they go from being the, these sojourners that are here in this, in this great nation of Egypt to all of a sudden being slaves. And things start to become uh, much di- more difficult. In our text... Uh, in Hebrews, it doesn't give all the information, but when we go back to Exodus 1.8, we find that the record of a, uh, of a new king who didn't know Joseph, and he arose after the death of Joseph and his brothers, and the children of Israel were fruitful, and they multiplied mightily and grew exceedingly mighty in the nation of Egypt, causing Pharaoh and his court to become insecure. The result was this oppressive uh, legislation and enslavement of the people of Israel. And the benefit of the royal, this was to the benefit of the royal family as the Hebrew slaves, and uh, they ended up building this, the uh, treasured cities of Pithom and Ramses. And, and so they benefited by putting labor upon the children of Israel, upon the Hebrew children, hoping that it would, you know, uh, it would really oppress them and suppress them. But in reality, God just continued to bless them as they followed the Lord faithfully, and, and God had a plan for Israel, as we know, from Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. God was establishing a nation, and that oppression, just like in the church age, right? Persecution is the, is the miracle growth for the church. Well, guess what? Oppression and persecution for the nation of Israel was, like a, was an agent that God caused to bless the women of Israel, bless the relationships, bless them as they continued to multiply even more. And the Egyptians caused them to serve with rigor, the Bible says. And the more God blessed them, uh, the more they served with rigor, the more God blessed them, and it became that kind of uh, that pattern of more oppression uh, and more pro- uh, prosperity for the Hebrews and and these that were slaves, and as as they grew in the influence in society and culture, and that's usually what happens when the church is oppressed; they become more influential, ironically, in the society because the ante goes up and the dark, the lights get dark, and the brightness of Christ begins to shine. 
And so in Exodus 1.15, Pharaoh says, we can't have this. Uh, and he decides that uh, infanticide is the best solution. So he orders two midwives named uh, uh, Shifra and Pua to kill the male children of the Hebrew women as they are as they're crowning and you know and once they determine that there's their sex they're to, to execute them and so their names uh, uh meant uh this is uh Shifra and Pua their names meant splend- beautiful and splendid and that's exactly the way they behaved they were beautifully brilliant as they circumvented uh, circumvented Pharaoh's wicked command because they feared God rather than the king they feared God rather than man, and God blessed them, and he ended up blessing them with homes, and, 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 uh, and, and, uh, and, and they said, hey, the women of, he- of the Hebrews, they're just more lively. But by the time we get there, they don't need our help. They've already delivered, and we, we didn't have the opportunity to fulfill your command of infanticide, king. So uh, they, they, uh, they actually averted his judgment, and they also averted God's judgment at the same time, and God was kind to them. In Exodus one twenty two, the Bible says, And Pharaoh charged all his people, saying, Every son that is born ye shall cast into the river, and every daughter ye shall save alive. Eventually his private policy becomes public policy. His, his counsel becomes public policy. And infanticide of the Hebrew males is legalized throughout all Egypt. As a matter of fact, it's mandatory if you are a mother of a Hebrew male. So this is kind of like the American eugenicist Margaret Higgins Sanger's view of the poor and underprivileged in American society in the early and mid-1900s. You know, on a day when we celebrate uh, mothers and motherhood, it's fitting and appropriate to remember that the denial of God and and, uh, in science and in society um, does have drastic effects. Uh, Before Hitler had a chance to indiscriminately murder Jews in Europe, Margaret Sanger wrote a book called Women, and I love the middle uh, word, Morality and Birth Control. (laughs) It's crazy. Uh, And she wrote this in 1922, Uh, and on page 12, it says, We should hire three or four colored ministers, preferably with social service backgrounds and with engaging personalities. The most successful educational approach to the Negro is through the religious appeal. We we don't want the word to, to go out that we want to exterminate the Negro population, and the minister is the man who can straighten out that idea if ever, to any of the of their more rebellious members. And so, ironically, that's, a, that's appalling to think about and to hear that, but that's what was on her mind in 1922. And ironically, Sanger is known as a pioneer of reproductive rights and, and uh, supposedly women's rights, but her life's work was really uh, to control reproductive rights, to limit reproductive rights, and eventually it would become murder in the womb. In 1921, she founded a a thing called the Birth Control League, and uh, and then which later became uh, uh, Planned Parenthood. Now I, I'm not defending. Sometimes men did mistreat women throughout history, so that's the case. But in regard to her underlying motives, it ended up be propagating a situation that to this day is responsible for many more murders uh, than you'll see deaths of COVID. So Hitler wasn't the only racist or eugenicist of the 20th century, and the scripture records that the next. Pharaoh-like murderer uh, will be coming soon. He's going to be called the Antichrist, and he's going to punish, not because of of, uh, your political persuasion, but because of an economic final solution that he will bring. Uh, And he, too, will try to control the population. But no matter what time one lives, a mother's care for the life of her child is the same. She cares about her child. 
And one might wonder, even in a time like this, is it safe to bring a child into the world? I mean, there's viruses and there's this and there's that. And what should we do? Well, I'm glad you asked. That's why we're in Exodus chapter 2, because we're going to talk about what to do. And that is to go forward in faithfulness. We need to have fruitfulness and faithfulness. So, so I know that Margaret Sanger and Hitler and Xi Jinping and, Ping and Pharaoh would all tell you, no, don't go forward. Don't do that. Stop. Don't reproduce. Uh, but I want, I want to look at the fruitful and faithful and fearless parents uh, of this one great man in the Bible called Moses. His parents' name were Amram and his wife Jochebed, believed and conceived a child in a time of very difficult circumstances where things were becoming increasingly oppressive. Should they have just stopped? Well, no, they couldn't because God had blessed them and they believed God's word and they stuck to God's mission. And beloved, that's what the church needs to do today. We need to believe God's word and stick to God's mission regardless of what the consequence. So in Exodus chapter 2 and verse 1, we see, And there went a man of the house of Levi and took a wife, a daughter of Levi. And the woman conceived and bare a son. And when she saw him that he was a goodly child, she hid him three months you see, God gave Adam a mission in Genesis one twenty eight, and Amram and Jochebed were still faithful to God's mission. In Genesis one twenty eight, it says, And God blessed them, and God said unto them, Be fruitful, and multiply, and replenish the earth, and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the fowl of the air, and over every living thing that moveth upon the face of the earth. And the mission continued through the flood of Noah. Even though all of humanity got messed up, and God had to eliminate everything, uh, you know what? Satan's been attacking the womb since the beginning, and he still he wasn't successful. So God reboots it, and he brings Noah. And as they land on the and, the, and he gives that covenant of the rainbow, and he 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 lands uh, the ark on Mount Ararat. And Genesis nine one is as Noah Noah emerges from the ark. It says, and God blessed Noah and his sons, and said unto them, Be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth. He tells him the same thing that he told Adam and Eve. I mean, be fruitful, multiply, replenish the earth. Why? Because that was God's mission. Noah's grandson, Noah had a grandson named Heber, and he had a grandson named Abraham, and Abraham had a grandson named Levi, who had a grandson named Amram, and he had a, he and he had a granddaughter named Jochebed. And now we know on Mother's Day, while it's, impo- it's important to point out, um, that though we focus on spiritual reproduction, we all know if you're a mother or a father even, that, that, you know what, we don't have spiritual reproduction without, you got to have a person to, to make disciples with, right? you got to lead someone to Christ, and when you have a child in your womb, and that child comes forth, and, and that becomes your child, that becomes your main job as a mom, as a dad, is to see that that child isn't just physically born, isn't just safely born, but also grows up, and, and we go from making babies to raising babies, and that's a lot harder deal. Right, Because we want them at length to become disciples. We want them not just to have a good life, not just to have a good marriage, not just to have a good career, not just to be safe and stable. That's great stuff. Those are good goals. But ultimately, at the end of the day, every mom that's a Christian mother wants more than that for their child. They want them to love God. They want them to follow God. And in Moses' case, he had parents that were willing to follow God above all else, even the command of the king to follow God faithfully. And that's exactly what Moses' parents did. That's why they're noted in Hebrews chapter 11. He didn't have to note Moses' parents, but he did. Because why? They believed his word over everything else. There was a plan that Pharaoh set forth for the seed of the nation of Israel. And there was a, a, a plan that God had set forth for the seed of the nation of Israel. And they chose to follow God's plan. 
We, we do that today, don't we, in the church? We follow God's plan of spiritual reproduction. It is bringing life and light to a world that's full of death and darkness. The last thing that we should do is get scared and quit reproducing. We need to continue to reproduce so that we can continue to have an influence in the culture for Christ so that when, when we can, can preach the gospel and make disciples and see God's glory known because time is short and soon he will draw us out. And so... And so our mission in the New Testament is to be faithful, multiply, replenish the earth through the reproduction of spiritual fruit. And when it comes to the business of the family, the work uh, is mission critical in the home and with children. And so today, everything in the world is fighting against the parent, just like it's been since the garden. The first attack of Satan was on the womb, right? He, he attacked the, the, the womb, the seed, and, and the first prophecy was, hey, listen, from the woman's womb will come your end, Satan. We are going to, we are going to uh, deal with you. And, of course, that is done through the Lord Jesus Christ, and he would come and take care of our, our sin debt. And so the devil wants to stop us. He wants to stop you, moms, from raising your children in the way they should go, but we shouldn't stop. We should go forward. If he can't abort them physically, then he would like you to abort them spiritually, and everything in this world is influenced to try to do that. So I want to encourage mothers today and fathers, of course, on Mother's Day to be fruitful, to be faithful, and to be like Amram and Jochebed. So we're going to talk about the fruit of faithfulness, the fruit of faithfulness. And the first thing we've got to have in a family to have the fruit of faithfulness is faithful parents. Faithful parents are the key to having this fruit of faithfulness. We've already looked at Hebrews eleven twenty three, but I would remind you that at the end of verse 23, it says, they were not afraid of the king's commandment. They were not afraid of the king's commandment. Find faithful examples, see? Because parenting is it's much, it's as much caught as it is taught. Before you have a, a, before you have a child say, well, uh, you, before you have children, you say, well, you know, when we have kids, we're not going to do this. And uh, Amy and I used to say, when we have kids, we're not going to do that. But the reality is once you have kids, it's a whole other ballgame, right? And then you're like, well, and you know what you often do is, is uh, you think this is what you're going to do or not do, but the circumstances change. And uh, even if you study the Bible and you know what God says, oftentimes there's these gray areas and you often default to the way you were raised. Why? Because parenting is as much caught as it is taught. And, and, so, and, so, uh, and so you end up going back. And if you didn't have good examples as parents, you, you can also repeat bad habits. And uh, it can cause friction in a marriage, right? Because Even if it's good habits, it's like, well, I do it this way and I do it this way. And then husband and wife are at each other. Well, that's not the way I want. So at the end of the day, God brings peace to the, to the parents by allowing us to have the word of God. And, and man, we follow God's word and we do what God tells us to do. And it really helps, helps us be good examples as faithful parents. And so God wants us to have and be good examples. He wants us to be the examples for the children of the home. He wants us to be uh, great examples for our children because even if they don't understand all that we know about the Bible, hopefully our example will get caught. And uh, if that gets caught, it will eventually be taught. So it is important not just to know what to do, but to do what you know to do. So God has provided insights and encouragement for parenting, obviously in the scripture. It's the manual for life. And consider the first Adam. His name is called the Son of God in Luke 3.28. God pronounces that, that Adam was called the Son of God. Now think about that, because Adam fell in sin and rebelled. So even if you think, man, I'm failing as a parent, it's miserable, listen... Be careful because God the Father has a plan of redemption, even for wayward children, of which we all have been. And that's why Jesus redeemed us from sin. So be thankful for God, for God's example 
of godly mothers. Because if you can't find an example in your real life, maybe your birth mom or what have, have you wasn't the ideal mother, maybe she left you or whatever the case may be or abused you, and I understand those things are terribly difficult. The Bible gives us examples. You know, there's women like Jochebed here that we see in Hebrews one twenty three, faithful under extreme pressure from oppressive government power. There's Hannah who was faithful amid excruciating emotional pain and suffering. I mean, she endured all kinds of emotional agony, and yet God blessed her with a child. And you see her, her heart in the birth of Samuel. And then there's Lois and Eunice. Uh, man, this is really in our wheelhouse as a New Testament church. Here we have a, a man, Paul, who is Timothy's not really his son, but he's like a father to Timothy. And Timothy's like a son to him. And, and as Paul's writing a swan song, his second epistle, and he's saying, Hey, Timothy, man, this is it. This is, this is going to be the end. I, I want you to do what you need to do. He knows Timothy's likely going to have to stand in the gap and be a martyr. And, you know, Timothy, historically, that's what the, the Bible teaches, that he was martyred in Ephesus. So when you're looking for, for information to download to your, your main disciple that you, you love as a son, someone that you think is your own child, someone that you know is going to carry the ball, who are you going to look for for examples? I mean, you're going you're to get the best examples. You're going to go back and think of Moses, or you're going to think of Joshua, or you're going to think of Daniel, or you're going to think of all these key figures in the Bible, these mighty men. No. He says, hey, remember your grandma and your mom. You need that kind of faith. Timothy, that's the kind of faith you need to finish your course. That's what you're going to need to run your race in a world that's influenced by Roman military power, pagan religion, and Greek philosophy. Listen, your mom and your grandma have done a great job under difficult circumstances. Timothy, Timothy, you need to, you need to catch, you need to, you need to teach what you caught from them, man. You need to be like your grandma. You need to use those influences because it's so important in parenting. So if you need examples, man, look to the Word of God. They're in the Word of God, and they're in your local New Testament church if you're in a good Bible-believing local New Testament church. Honoring our parents is not predicated on our opinion of their parenting. I had to repeat that twice in the first service. So honoring our parents is not predicated on, on, the, on, on the, our opinion, but on the precept of God's Word. We honor our parents not because it, 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 they deserve it necessarily, though many, obviously, we should honor them because they've given everything for us. But on the other hand, maybe you were raised in a situation where your parents were horrible, miserable. At Heartland, we have several people that, man, maybe your mom was a, like a crack addict and wasn't there for you or abused you or abandoned you. And when you think of your mom on Mother's Day, it's not joyful. It's painful. It's like, man, what she did to me. How could that happen? Uh, there's all kinds of things. Or, or maybe you treated your mother wrong. I don't know. But the reality is this. The Bible says, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Then it says in verse 2 of Ephesians 6, Honor thy father and thy mother, which is the first commandment with promise. You know what's awesome about Jesus Christ is he can reconcile all of that. And, and you, because you can have a new father in heaven, and if you're saved, Jerusalem above is the mother of us all. you got all that you need in heavenly places. So you don't have to live under that pain anymore. You don't have to live under that shadow of a bad childhood, although it's horrible, and you're always going to experience some pain from that. God gives you grace to cover that. So you can say, you know what, Lord, if it wasn't for my mother, I wouldn't be here. If it wasn't for my mom, I wouldn't even be born. And you can love her for giving birth to you, if that's all she did. But you should honor her, at least for that, because even if you had a horrible parent, you can, you can thank God for using them to bring you into the world. Even, even an example of what not to do is valuable as you grow into adulthood as a woman or a man. 
And so you can say, thank you, God, for showing me what I don't want to do. Thank you for showing me how I don't want to hurt people. Thank you for giving me the example of what I don't want to do. But you can thank God and you can honor them in that way. Faithfulness, uh, faithfulness, uh, <clears throat> faithfulness in parents, man, I tell you, it changes the course of history. Faithful parents change the course of history. In Exodus 2.1, it goes on to say, And there went a man of the house of Levi and took a wife of the daughter of Levi. Amram and Jochebed's names uh, are recorded in Exodus 6.20 and in Numbers 26.59. But Moses minimized his parents' names at his birth and the account of his life. They're not really talked about much in the Bible. As a matter of fact, as I was studying it, I began to think, I thought, well, you know what, maybe Amram was kind of a, of a you know kind of a deadbeat dad because all the emphasis is on Jochebed his mother until I got to Hebrews 11 and saw oh no God was talking about both of them God God remembered both of them history often remembers the names of great men and women but we forget who their parents were this morning I I, I can tell you God didn't forget who the parents were even if Moses forgot who they were uh, God didn't forget this morning I can tell you the name I cannot tell you I'm sorry. I cannot tell you the name of Abraham Lincoln's mother. I just don't know what it is. I don't know George Washington's mother's name. I've never heard of her. Um, I mean, I haven't even Googled it. I don't know who Harriet Tubman's mother was. I don't know who Rosa Parks' mom was. I don't know who these people's moms were. But you know what God does? What matters more than their names are their actions and the influence they had upon their children. I can imagine as they they waited to see what the Lord would bring, Jochebed and Amram, uh, is it going to be a boy? Is it going to be a girl? And you know what Pharaoh considered a problem as a boy? They saw a bless, as a blessing from God. You know, no, children's, no child's a mistake. Every child is important to God. To, to this point in history, God has made it clear that he was not pleased with the actions of Amram and Jochebed's grandfather, Levi. So you got to kind of put this in a historical context. When, when we think of Moses and the law, we think of something completely different up to this point in history, just historical context, of anybody else. Uh, because Genesis 49.5 says this, Simeon and Levi are brethren. This is, a, this is like what God writes about Levi and, uh, and, his, and his tribe. He says, Simeon and Levi are brethren. Instruments of cruelty are in their habitations. I mean, their kids are bad just like they are, is what he's saying. He goes on to say, O my soul, come not thou into their secret, unto their assembly. Mine honor, be not thou untied. For in their anger they slew a man, and in their self-will they dig down a wall. Cursed be their anger, for it, is, it was fierce, and their wrath, for it was cruel. I will divide them in Jacob and scatter them in Israel. You see, God's referring to how angrily and vengeful Simeon and Levi dealt with their sister uh, Diana's indiscretion with Hamar, the son of Shechem who humbled himself and capitulated him and his father Shechem. And they came to, to Jacob and they said, look, hey, our bad. We did not realize we were violating your codes here, your Hebrew code. So uh, what do we need to do? They said, hey, get circumcised. They're going to graft them in. And this is before they even entered the promised land. And they're like, hey, okay, whatever we got to do. So all the house of Shechem gets circumcised. That's all their males. That's crazy, but that's what they did. That'd be very painful, you can imagine. And that's definitely showing sincerity. And so they were very sincere and, and obviously very sorry that they had defiled Diana and uh, it wasn't appropriate. So in Genesis, and, and by the way, it seems like uh, Haman and, and, uh, and uh, Diana were great together. So, you know, Jacob's like, we'll just cover this under God's grace and go forward. And, uh, and boy, Levi and Simeon were not having it. They were not going to be chumps. And so they went out and slew 
every one of them. And, uh, and, and, and they brought a reproach upon Jacob in doing so because he had already made a deal. So God remembered this, and this was, was written about, uh, about them in the book of Genesis chapter 34. Well, that's the event when it happened. So Moses' parents, uh, that's who they're, they're a part of. That's, that's the lineage. That's the grandpa, Levi. And so some of you, maybe even this morning, you come to HBF and you're like, well, you know, I don't have a godly heritage or uh, my dad or maybe myself or maybe my grandpa, you know, with Al Capone, whatever, I don't know. But you may have this horrible, nasty heritage. And, and you know, when you thought of Levi and you thought of the sons of Levi, you weren't thinking about, oh, man, these are just the best. These guys should be priests. These should be, these, they should come up with a tabernacle and become the priesthood and represent the nation of Israel before God. They should be stewards of the law and stewards of the worship process. And nobody would have thought that about the sons of Levi. Nobody would have thought that. But you know what? God's ways aren't our ways. And in these parents' faithfulness, when they decide, you know what? We're going to honor the king. You know what? It changed the course of their family's history. Now, when we think about Moses, nobody thinks about Levi going out and, and killing a bunch of people. They think about Moses and the Ten Commandments. They think about God giving him and blessing him with the law and stewarding the law, not only to Moses, but the entire world through his, his faithfulness. They think about his, his brother Aaron and the Levitical priesthood and, and the tabernacle in the wilderness. And all those things revolve around these boys of Levi because in one faithful decision by these parents, it changed the course of the history of this entire family. Every family carries a name. A faithful parent influences and changes the name forever. By the way, unfaithfulness does as well. So children, honor your parents. That's another reason to honor your parents, because you're carrying their name. So it's worth noting here that Jochebed is a, a man of the house of Levi. He and Jochebed's faith... Uh, uh, I said Jochebed. I'm sorry, Amram is, is a man of the house of Levi. And, and Jochebed's faithfulness will produce Moses, the man of God. That's so awesome. So we go from Levi, uh, 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 Amram, who's, who's identified with Levi... But his son Moses is identified not just as Moses, the son of Amram, the son of Levi. No, although that's true, he becomes Moses, the man of God. I mean, that becomes who he is five times in the Bible. Number of death, number of grace, number of the law, the Pentateuch. Five times he is, he is mentioned in Deuteronomy 33.1, Joshua 14.6, 1 Chronicles 23.14, 2 Chronicles 30 and verse 16, Ezra 3.2. Uh, as the man of God. God addresses Moses as the man of God. That wasn't just Moses saying that. That was God saying he's the man of God. In Psalm 90 and verse 1 in the title of Psalm 90, the sixth mention you'll find there is it's, that psalm is named for Moses, the man of God. Man, isn't that what we, I know every mom that really loves Jesus wants to see that, you know what, I want this child to grow up and be the man of God. Man, if your daddy's like Al Capone, you don't want him to be like Al Capone. You want him to be like the man of God. You want him to be like Jesus. That's what we want our kids to grow up with. I don't want my children to be like me. I want them to be like Jesus. At least me before I was saved, for sure. A lot of men want to be the man. There was a UFC fight last night. Did you see that fight? Did you? I did. did you? That's pay-per-view. Oh, I got that. I'll have to go home and see. I missed it. I was prepping for this message. So somebody, don't tell me who. Don't tell me. Don't tell me who won the fight. I said that in the first service. They're all like, what are you talking about? But anyway, so I'm like, don't, don't, t- don't tell me who won the fight. But somebody won a fight last night, and I promise you this. I promise you this. I'm talking to Chris Holloway for those out there in the stratosphere. Somebody in that green got up, and they ran around like this probably. And you know what they said? I'm the man. I'm the man. But you know what they aren't? 
they're not the man of God. You know, every man wants to be the man, but what we really need is the man of God. That's what we really need. And so a lot of men want to be the man, but man, we need people that become the man of God. And you know what? That comes through women of God, ironically, right? If you want to be a good man, you need a good woman. It starts with your mama. Are you the the go-to spiritual leader of your home, men? You say, you, you listen to this. You think that, well, Moses had this awesome mom, so he must have grew up. We know that he got the lessons. I'll get to that in a minute. So he was an awesome guy. You know what the truth was? Even Moses, when he grew up, he needed a good, he needed a good woman around him, even as a man. That's the truth. You know how I know that? Because Zipporah had to put her foot down and say, Moses, you're going to kill us here. And she circumcised her son. Get, take care of our son here and follow the law of your fathers. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and circumcise your son before God kills us. You're bringing judgment on our house, Moses. Would you obey the word? Oh, yeah, honey, thanks. I'm glad you told me. Uh, yeah. You know. So Moses, he had all that education, but he really wasn't that smart until his wife put her foot down. So, uh, But anyway, Moses learned, and Moses was obviously a godly man, and Moses was the man of God. But listen, it, didn't, it wasn't always like that. Not only did he need a good mo- mama, uh, not only did he need a good adoptive mama, but he needed a good wife. Moses was a man that needed good women in his life. He depended heavily on his wife and, and his sister as he grew into manhood. And so, uh, so Moses, may have a, he had a good education and a great loud voice, uh, though he didn't speak well. Uh, but, and he had this supernatural strength, but he needed the godly influence of a mother in his life to stay on track at times. And so don't we all, amen? And so I hope that you're a godly mother because you don't know the influence. Sometimes I know moms probably feel like that second picture at the beginning, you know, it's all crazy. But be cur- moms, seriously, when you love God and you love your kids, it may not look like it initially that you're getting any traction, but in due time, man, it'll take root. Those investments come back. And Moses is an example of that. So the fruit of faithfulness, it's found in faithful parents, but it's also found in a- faithful actions. It's found in faithful actions. We see in Exodus 2, verses 2 and 4, that they go to work. You know what the Bible tells us in James chapter 2 and verse 20? But, but, wilt thou know, uh, but wilt thou know, O vain man, that faith without works is dead? James 2, 26 says, For as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. There are many parents who say, Well, you know, the Bible isn't working for me. Well, that's our first mistake as a parent. You see, you're saved by grace through faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ. That's what Ephesians 2 very clearly teaches us. That's what the whole New Testament teaches, right? We get that. We're saved by grace through faith. Without any works, right? Jesus did the work on the cross. We put our faith in his finished work, and that saves us. Okay. Okay, all done. Then that's going to raise my family. That's going to get everything. To, wait a minute. Whoa, 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 whoa. Time out. Ephesians 2.10 says we're saved unto good works. He saved us to accomplish something. You're not worth anything to accomplish it until you get redeemed. But once you get redeemed, you're like a vessel. And when you're filled with God's word and the water of his word, the spirit of God, he's able to pour you out and use you to water all kinds of things. And you get refilled. And it doesn't mean you lose your, the spirit. You have the spirit from the day you're saved. But you continue to renew your mind and continue to give your life to the work of God. And God uses that and blesses that. So if you're saved and the Bible isn't working for you, it's probably because you're not working for it. You got saved and you, and you just said, oh, I got my fire insurance. And you just throw that thing on the shelf somewhere. You don't consult it. You don't live your life by it. You don't run your life by it. And why in the world then would you run your kid's life by it? Right? So that's what happens. And then we say, oh, the Bible didn't work for me. Well, that's because we're not working for it. Making a baby is one thing. Caring, it, caring for it and raising it in adulthood is another thing. Making adults is the hard part. 
The way Jochebed cares for Moses is inspiring to anyone who is a parent. In verse 2 it says, And the woman conceived and bare a son. And she saw him, that he was a goodly child. She hid him three months. What did she do? She did what she could. Man, every mom knows that. You do what you can. She didn't have a lot of resources, but she did what she could. She hid him three months because Jochebed did some things by faith. First of all, she hid her son. First of all, she saw that his goodness. And the, and the, the, the thing that the Pharaoh saw as a problem, she looks at this child, Moses, and says, Oh, this is a blessing of God. She saw Moses the way God saw Moses, through eyes of faith. And then she went to work. What did she do? She went to hiding him. Why? Because she understood what Pharaoh didn't. In Psalms 127 and verse 3 hadn't have been written yet, but this is what it says. Lo, children are in heritage of the Lord, and the fruit of the womb is his reward. She's like, this is my reward. Man, I'm, I'm holding on. To I'm hiding him. I'm not going to let uh, Pharaoh take him. And she hid him three months. This is as long as she could hold on to him because I'm sure his little baby lungs were developing. Later he'd go on and say, God, I can't speak. You know, I stutter. Why don't you have Aaron be the spokesman? But I guarantee at three months old, his mom's like going, shh, 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 honey, be quiet. His screams were getting so loud. She's afraid some, some, uh, some uh, Egyptian dude's going to run by there and go, hey, wait a minute, that don't sound like no baby girl. Let me go check this out and then slay her child. I mean, this is getting hard to contain this baby boy Moses at three months old. When he's hungry, he's hungry. And I'm sure he was letting everybody know about it. But his cry was something that could have brought death. You know, sometimes things happen in life, and, and the innocent things, even a baby's cry can bring death. Man, I've, I've, heard, I've heard personal accounts of women living in KCK that have had to, to carry their children out of Burma through these back-channel uh, uh, trails and such as, as the Burmese uh, government is, is searching for them to kill them and, and how children perish all the time along the way and moms are trying to keep them quiet and all of these things so that the, the government troops don't find them and so on and so forth. It's absolute, this isn't like 40 years ago. This is like, you know, four years ago. And so it's just it's gut-wrenching to hear these stories and it's just to think about what mothers often have to go through to preserve the life of a child. And yet so easily... Today, you're encouraged to take it just for yourself, just so you can have a better career. Man, that was totally not the attitude of Jochebed. She'd do anything she could to save her child's life, and she went about the work doing that. In Exodus 2, 3, it says, And when she could no longer hide him, she took him, uh, took for him an ark of bulrushes and daubed it with slime and with pitch and put the child therein, and she laid it in the flags by the river's bank. You know, she built an ark to save his life. She built an ark, an ark, an ark to save his life. But many Bibles today, most Bibles actually in English say a basket, a wicker basket. There's several different translations of that. Your King James Bible says it's an ark. And there's a reason the King James Bible uses the word ark. It's not because they didn't have use of the word basket. <laughs> there's a word baskets found all over your, your King James Bible. It's because God wanted to, to preserve the word ark there because the word ark is significant. We understand there's already been Noah and the ark. In a time of judgment, God brought his people into the ark and he spared their lives in his immense judgment on the entire world. And so she doesn't want a basket. She wants an ark. She wants something that's going to preserve her child's life. And she makes sure it is waterproof, that the judgment will not come from without, that God will keep the contents from within safe. Boy, isn't that appropriate? Because eventually the, the law and, the, and, 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 the, and the, the priesthood is going to be handed to Moses and Aaron, and they're going to steward that thing through the nation of Israel until Shiloh comes, the Lord Jesus Christ, and fulfills it, which he did 2,000 years ago.
This baby Moses would be placed in the ark and placed in the river, at the brink of the river. That thing could have just floated away. But in God's providence, she puts it up against those, those reeds, and she holds, she's like, oh, Lord, keep that baby here. Don't let it go out. Don't let a, don't let a crocodile come up and eat it. Because she wanted his life to be spared from judgment. The only way to spare his life was not to keep him and have him cry, but to put him in a situation where she had to let go. Man, Moses was in quite a situation. She strategically places the ark in the bulrushes by the flags at the river's brink. And Jochebed was not just placing Moses in the river. She wasn't just putting her son in the river for his safety. She was literally giving him to God. This was a woman who believed God. She's crying out to God. Every mother on the, on the first day of school, man, I'm sure they do that. Their little man, their little girl is going off to school, and there's that, there's that process where they've got to let go. Oh. Or maybe it's like, oh, no, I don't know. But, uh, <laughs> but there's, that, there's that letting go process. That you, it's just hard to let go. And unfortunately for moms, that's not just once. That's not just twice. Some moms, some moms in our church, they've experienced the, had to let their kids go and go back to the Lord until they see them in eternity. That's a hard thing for a mom. No mom wants to live through that. But many moms do. I visited with a mother just this last week, as a matter of fact. She says, you know, my son's not in good health. I'm afraid he may see the Lord before I do. I think about that mom. She, she raised him. She, she, she nursed him. She let him go. She took him to school. She watched him go off to school, watched him go into adulthood, watched him go through all those things, but then to watch him go into eternity. You can only do that as a mom if Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior, and you know that God's got him in his ark. And so in Exodus 2, 4, we see that she isn't just leaving it to chance. You're not faith, it's just not blind faith. She's like, hey, Miriam, that's her daughter. Miriam, uh, I need you to go over there and keep an eye on things. So Jochebed places the child in God's hands, but she utilizes Miriam to facilitate God's will. Right? That's, that's what we do. We, 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 God uses the body. He puts us together. Right? We trust God with everything, but he wants us to do our part. Every part of the body is important, and it's important that we all come together and do our part. That's how things get done. So she's like, Miriam, go, observe. And his sister stood afar off, it says in verse 4, off to wit, that, that would, to, uh, to wit what would be done to him. So she's there to see and witness what's going to happen. What's going to happen? She wants to be witness to it so she can inform her mom. In Proverbs 16, 9, the Bible says, A man's heart deviseth his way, but the Lord directeth his steps. The Lord is directing the steps all the way. And I'm sure like all mothers, Jochebed was pouring her heart out to the Lord in desperation as she made her way back to her home. I mean, she did everything she knew to do. She did everything she could do. And I'm sure she was going back to her, her place, man. She was, she, was, uh, she was probably just going, Oh, Lord, help. Oh, God, take care of my little baby. Oh, God, you know, please let him be spared. She doesn't know what's going to happen. She doesn't know if a crocodile is going to come and eat him. She doesn't know if Pharaoh's guards are going to spot him. She doesn't know if Pharaoh's daughter, I'm sure she probably suspected she'd have compassion or she wouldn't have put him there, but she could have had a bad day and said, no, throw him to the crocodiles. He's a Hebrew. That's what her daddy wanted. And so by faith, she goes back. When your family is placed in impossible circumstances, the only thing you can do is trust God to do the impossible. Sometimes God puts us in impossible circumstances because he wants us to trust him to do the impossible. We, can't, we can tell that she did, she did not know what was going to happen. If she did, she wouldn't have left Miriam there to see what happened. 
And so the fruit of faithfulness, it doesn't mean you know everything. It doesn't even know, it mean you know the outcome. It doesn't mean you're not living under incredible anxiety about what's going to happen next. It means you trust the Lord with every step because that's all you have left. And so many mothers today, that's what you feel. What should, I, what should I do under these circumstances? What do I know to do? Do what God's word says to do, even when you don't have any other options. Do what God says to do and use your mind and be wise. The fruit of faithfulness, faithful parents, faithful actions. You've got to do something. And then lastly, faithful sacrifice. Oh, man, this is a story of motherhood, isn't it? Giving everything for your children so one day you can release them with the hope that one day rise up and call you blessed. You know, in Proverbs chapter 22 and verse 6, the Bible says, Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. There's no better blessing on Mother's Day. You want to bless your mama? Man, follow Jesus. There's not a better blessing. You know what that's right. Some of you moms, I'm looking at some faces in this room. You are so thankful when your children follow Jesus because they don't always want to follow Jesus. Adam didn't always want to follow God. But boy, when they do, what a blessing that is to a mama when your son or your daughter says, you know what, I finally come to the light and I have caught what you taught and I'm going to follow Jesus. Hallelujah. When Jochebed walks away from the river, she doesn't know what the Lord will do. She's just praying he spares his life and she'll get, and she'll get in, to invest in her little man. In Exodus chapter 2 and verse 5, it goes on to say, and the daughter of Pharaoh came down to wash herself at the river. We've all seen this enacted to... Many of us got to watch, uh, what is that, Charlton Heston and Earl, uh, who's that other, the bald guy? Yul Brenner. Yeah, man, he's the perfect pharaoh. And so we got to see all that, that, that worked out, you know. So you got these images in your mind. And she goes down and her maidens walked along by the riverside. And when she saw the ark among the flags, it's so good to have live people, uh, she sent her maid to fetch it. And when she had opened it, she saw the child and behold, the babe wept. And she had compassion on him and said, this is one of the Hebrews' children. She wasn't under any delusion of what was going on. This was a result of her father's command. This is one of the Hebrew children. When she opens it up, though, she doesn't see it as a curse. She sees it as a blessing. She opens the gift and she sees this child that her father was cursing. And she can't bring herself to curse it because her heart has compassion. And she said to his sister, to Pharaoh's daughter, Shall I go and call thee a nurse of the Hebrew women that she may nurse the child for thee? In verse 7. You know, just as God was hearing the cry of his people, they were crying out. They'll cry out more after this even. It's not over for Pharaoh. Pharaoh's daughter heard the cry of Moses. And that cry that could have brought death to him just moments before he was placed in the, in the, in the, in the water. That, could, that cry could have brought execution to Moses, but God protected him. He covered the ears of those that were listening, and she places it in the water. Now that cry brings life. Man, there are people who have cried out and cried out, and their prayers haven't gone past the ceiling because they had never cried out in faith. But when you cry out to God, man, he answers it. And when, Moses is, when, Mo, when the Pharaoh's daughter opens that gift, man, she sees that little, what Pharaoh sees is a curse, and she sees that little baby crying, and her heart just melts. She has compassion. She knows that this is a mother, for goodness sake, that has to go to this place where she puts her daughter or her son in the river and hopes that somebody will have compassion. And she says, that will be me. Beloved, I, can't, I cannot miss the opportunity to mention the importance that we need to have in crying out to the Lord. We're commanded to cry out, to pray. 
Man, the church right now needs to be praying. The church all over the world's under a lot of oppression, persecuted. It's hard to preach the gospel in many places. It's easy here, or it has been anyway. The church needs to continue to pray. We've had some freedom in this country for 254 years. Before that, there was a lot of persecution to Bible believers like us. And so we need to be in prayer, beloved, because it's rapidly eroding. HBF is one of the most blessed churches in our fellowship of churches that we, we fellowship with. Right now, as I'm up here preaching with all liberty in the world because the governor and the, the health department is allowing, you know, we're, we're, everything's within the parameters. I have brethren, your brethren, we have brothers. They, they can't do what we're doing with as clear of a conscience. Let me put it that way. They, they're in the same situation as Jochebed. They're in the same situation as Amram. What are we going to do? God's called us to do something good, and, and others think it's evil. Even the people, people don't understand. And you know what they need, we need to do? We need to cry out to the Lord. And we need to preach the gospel. We need to give birth to new fruit. And they need to see what the, the church really does is bring new life to people whose souls are lost. And when you see a life changed, you'll realize there's nothing more important than a changed life. Than someone going from d- darkness to light, from death to life. That is the most, it's more important than physical birth. I mean, I'm all about sanctity of human life, but what about sanctity of eternal life? That's what we are about the business of. That's why we meet on the first day of the week. And man, I am so thankful to the Lord. If we're not praying because we're in a press, then we need to be praying because we're giving thanks to God Almighty. Amen? If you're at home right now, you need to be giving thanks to God Almighty that we're able to meet, that we're able, that we can be free to meet at home or meet at church. Man, that's a blessing. We need to see new life because that's what will melt the heart of some that have a heart, but not all. Those days are these days, man. We need to be praying. I guarantee you, Jacobed was faithful. Somebody, I tell you, I have a good friend. His mom was a missionary in Egypt, and he told me the one thing he reminds about, he remembers about his mom, is she would pray. His dad would go out in the bush, and in, in, uh, uh, I said Egypt, in Ethiopia. I'm sorry, and uh, in Ethiopia, just south of where we're talking about here. Uh, in difficult times, I, I, I knew this man, I knew his fruit, he's passed away now. His father was a great missionary in Ethiopia. And he said, you know what I remember when I was a little boy is, is, is my dad would go out and he, you should hear the stories, some of the things his dad got into back in the day, the 60s and the 70s in Ethiopia. But uh, he says, you know what, my mom would be out in the backyard praying for hours as dad was out ministering in Ethiopia. He said, no joke. It's no, no, it's no surprise then that when, I, when, when Mike Blake needed someone to pray, I thought it was a great idea, but you know who really took up the ball? was this man. His name is Mike Sidebottom. You guys don't know who he is, but God knows who he is. I'll tell you what, it's important because you catch what your parents teach. And he became a great prayer warrior. And he sustained many of us in the ministry to this day. I literally just got to meet with this man. I did a men's conference a few weeks ago. And... Uh, I, come, I hadn't seen him in years, and we get to catching up for a minute. And he says, man, I appreciate your message. He says, uh, he says uh, I'm going, I won't be here tomorrow night to hear it. I'm going up to Midtown. His daughter goes to Midtown Baptist Temple. I'm going to put her in God's hands because I just preached about giving your children to the Lord. And uh, he goes, I'm going to go put her in God's hands. And she's going off to Boston to be plant, a church planner with Mike Renault. And, man, here I'm talking to this guy, and I'm just like, man, this guy's the real deal. 
You know why he had parents that were the real deal? They were faithful. They were sacrificial. They lived their life for Christ. They gave their lives. And here this man is giving his life, seeing his daughter, giving his daughter up to the mission of God. And a lot of parents, they, they don't like that idea. You know, I love kids. I want my kids to have a good job. I want them to have three squares. I want them to be financially stable. I want them to have a good education. We don't want to give any of that up to follow Jesus. You know what? It may be those very things that, that it cost you your child at length. You need to think that through. Pharaoh would raise Israel's deliverer in his own home. Isn't that awesome how God works? Pharaoh would raise Israel's deliverer that would undo his own, his own decree in his own home as his daughter had this compassion upon Moses. In Proverbs 16 and verse 7, when a man's ways please the Lord, he maketh even his enemies to be at peace with him. There is no wisdom nor understanding nor counsel against the Lord, Proverbs 21.30 says. As Alan, uh, Pastor Alan Shelby says at Harvest Baptist Blue, Blue Springs, providence has eyes, right? God, God provides, and he knows where, to, where to, to, to bring the supply to people who have faith. God worked through Pharaoh's daughter to deliver Moses. She saw, she sent her, ma- her maidens, and she opened that gift, and it was Moses, the child, and she heard that cry from Scripture. She had compassion, and the most insecure man on the earth was her father, <laughs> And God's going to undo him with a little baby named Moses. She has compassion. Miriam does her part as well. She offers a, a fitly spoken suggestion in Exodus 2.7. Then said uh, his sister to Pharaoh's, uh, to Pharaoh's daughter, Shall I go and call thee a nurse of the Hebrew women, that she may nurse the child for thee? I suspect that Pharaoh's daughter might have suspected the wet nurse that would be called <laughs> might be a Hebrew that just had a baby. I don't know. But neither, nonetheless, we see that there's no hesitation. Pharaoh's daughter said, go! And the maid went and called the child's mother. We don't know how things developed as Moses grew, but you know what? It looks like that Miriam had quite a bit of influence on her son. I suspect Pharaoh's daughter would know who Moses belonged to. I just think about it. Eventually, he's going to get older, and he's going to look like some Hebrews. I bet she's like, boy, that's funny. That boy looks a lot like the maiden that was feeding him. <laughs> or like, look, he kind of looks like Amram and Jochebed. I see a lot of resemblance there. Kind of looks like somewhere she put it all together. She didn't get it right off the bat. There's some things to be even said for Moses or for Pharaoh's daughter. I won't get into that. But Jochebed gets back the child she gave away. In Exodus 2, 9, the Bible says, And Pharaoh's daughter said unto her, Take this child away. And nurse it for me, and I will give thee thy wages. And the woman took the child and nursed it. Hey, Dad, if you want to kill this child, you might as well kill me because I'm covering this one. You take care of this child. It will be mine at least. I'll be happy to cover this, this little man. The most important education Moses will receive will be the teaching that he receives from his mother. Oh, well, he's educated. He's well-educated, the most educated in Egypt. But as she nursed him and weaned him and she invested in him, the formative years are so important to children. These young men sitting here, the other young men that were in the first service, these little ones, man, they are huge. That's why, that's why we're always calling, hey, can you, help, can you help minister in the children? It's a privilege to minister in the kingdom kids. We're not begging people to help. We're saying, who wants to get in on, on being part of raising the next generation that's going to deliver souls for the kingdom of God? I mean, how exciting can that get? How, how, how encouraging can that be? I mean, we shouldn't have to twist arms. That should be what we all want to do. Moses doesn't forget the lessons of, that uh, Abraham and Isaac and Jacob uh, 
had gone through. His mother told him all those stories, told him who he was and how he got there and what God had in store for them. She had it all down. Amram had it all down. And eventually, Jochebed has to launch her son into the world and trust that her investment will not return void. And that hard day comes. Not only did she give him up at the side of the river, but she had to give him up one more time. Boy, isn't that the way it is, moms? That's why we love moms, because we know it's painful. You got to give us up at kindergarten, and you got to give us up at teenage years, and you got to give us up at college, and then you got to give us over to a wife or a husband. You know, you're always giving, giving, giving. And that's why we have a Mother's Day, because we recognize moms are sacrificial by nature. They don't mind giving, but it's painful sometimes to give. They give birth. That's not easy, it's painful. And the giving keeps going. I think sometimes the giving is harder the more emotional it gets. I don't know. I never want to go there with moms and tell, talking about child pain. I don't know anything about it. So I don't want to say that anything's lighter than child pain or heavier than child pain. But I do think that the emotional weight of raising and giving, giving your children away and worrying about what's going to happen in this wicked world. I know as a dad I worry about it. I think the moms worry about it even more. You know, my wife's calling, make sure, always, that's what they do. They want to know where, where things are. They want to make sure everyone's okay. And now this mom has to give her child over to the world. There's no clearer picture of giving your child over to the world. It's like, you know, man, when I, my son enters the Marines, is he going to become an alcoholic wife beater? No offense to Marines, Mark. But there's a good possibility when you go in the military, you can become an alcoholic, right? Yeah, there is. Don't, don't kid yourself. Um, that's how you deal with stress, right? You got to deal with it somehow. Uh, and so I know so many people, they're like, man, what's going to happen? I'll tell you what. Chuck Swindoll went in the military, uh, regardless of what you think of him, but he came out a lot better than he went in because it's there where God got a hold of him because he had a faithful mama. He had a faithful daddy. And you know what? God will use those things if you're like Jochebed and you just do, you invest all you can and then you trust the Lord. She gives him up again and she names him here. Notice who gets to name him. It's not Jochebed. We don't know what Jochebed called him. Probably little, little Snooky Poo or whatever. She had some cute little name for him, some little Hebrew name for him. I don't know. Or little little munchkin or whatever. I don't know. But his name that really gets, that sticks is the one that his adopted mom gave him. It's called Moses, drawn from the water. And that really uh, is what his name means, drawn out. And God in his providence used Pharaoh's, Pharaoh's daughter to name him because it would be Moses who would draw his people out of Egypt and get them free of the bondage of her father. It's the story of every mother's life to one degree or another. Even if you've messed it up, God is able to take a hot-tempered, murderous man like Levi and turn his grandsons into the keeper of God's commandments. Moses means drawn out, but his daughter, man, Pharaoh's daughter, he raises the man that's going to undo her father's wishes. The fruit of faithful mothers doesn't return void. And I want to end with this, Hebrews eleven twenty four. Just a, a verse down, we started in 23, but it doesn't end there. It ends in verse 24 in regard to Moses. It says, by faith... Moses, when he was come to years, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer the affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season, 
He says, you know what? You can take all of this stuff and you can have it. I don't think this happened after he murdered the Egyptian. This happened before. There's something that was happening in his heart. As Moses is in the court, as he's hearing the agenda of what they think about, uh, about Hebrews, as he understands what the agenda is to, to kill his people, as he understands that he has been spared, but it's not fair, and he, he hears all these things, and he decides that the only moral right thing to do is stand with these people because God's put it in my hand. I am a prince, but I'm not going to be the prince of Pharaoh. I'm going to be the prince of God. And that's exactly who he becomes, the man of God. Esteeming the reproach of Christ, greater riches than the treasures of Egypt, for he had respect unto the recompense of the reward. He's like, you know what? I'm going to look ahead, not to what I can get today. By faith, he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. What's verse 27 say? By faith, he took He forsook Egypt. How did he do that? Not fearing the wrath of the king. Wait a minute. Where did Moses get that? He didn't get that from, well, he kind of did get it from Pharaoh's daughter because she went against the king, but he got that from, he got that from a mother's heart. He got that from Amram and Jochebed who said, you know what? We're going to do everything we can to save our child. We're not going to do what the king says in regard to this because it's against God's word and they followed God. And even Moses' daughter, when compassion, or Pharaoh's daughter, said, no, I'm not going to do what the king says. I'm going to do what the Bible says. I'm going to have compassion on life when death has been decreed. Listen, today we live in a culture of death. But, beloved, we are the, we are the vessels of light. Moses esteemed the word of God and he ta- and th- that was taught to him. And he ends up having the same epitaph. He gets the same credit for not fearing the wrath of the king but focusing on him which was invisible. Not fearing the wrath of the king initially, that wasn't the case. But God continued to work in Moses where his mother could not. In coming back to God and leading his people out of bondage, the best qualities committed, commented on regarding Moses' faith are the same characteristics we see in his parents. The fruit of faithfulness, Are we faithful parents? I pray that we are. Do we have faithful actions? It's not just saying, hey, I'm a parent. I had a baby. No, no. We got to do the work. There's work to being a parent. And ultimately, the last thing is we got to have that faithful sacrifice where we not just give them up. We don't give up on them, but we give them over to the Lord. And we say, Lord, take them and do what only you can do. And man, God did that in Moses' life. Regardless if you are a mother or not, The fruit of faithfulness is something to be celebrated. It starts with acknowledging when we are without strength, as Amram and Jochebed and baby Moses, God provides a way. Even if all the walls are closed in on you today, man, God has provided a way. And it's through his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. It's not a physical life, it's an eternal life. It doesn't come through the world system, but by faith in God. And the promises of God that he's been given ever since the garden. That there would be a seed and his name is Jesus. And he would bring forth our salvation. The seed of a woman. As great as Moses became, as perfect as the law is, there was one greater and that is Christ. And today is the day to trust him. If you're watching me online, you need to trust Jesus today. If you're here in the house, I think we're pretty much a home crowd. We know we need to trust Jesus today. 
So I pray God blesses the reading and the hearing of his word. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you and praise you for the Lord Jesus this morning. We thank you for this a faithful example and the fruit that came from it. Lord, may we be faithful and fruitful, uh, be faithful and have uh, fruitfulness in our life. Lord, may we be faithful parents. May we uh, have a, a faithful uh, actions that result in a faithful sacrifice as we give our, our lives and even our, our children to you, Lord. We pray, God, that you would do more with them than we could ask or think, Lord, that you would bless them beyond belief, that their, their names would be meaningful in heaven. And, Lord, may we decrease and may you increase, Lord. We thank you and we praise you and we ask this in Jesus' name. I pray for the soul of that one that may be out, out there in the stratosphere listening right now that needs to be born again. I pray that they, today, Lord, only by faith I cast this out, Lord, that you would, they would open up the word of God. They would see what's in this message and they would hear the cry of God saying, Follow me, trust me, call upon my name and be saved. And as God cries out to them, they, like a child, would cry back. And so I believe Jesus died on the cross for my sin. I believe that he's alive. I believe that he's speaking to me now. And I want to I trust him to forgive my sins. I believe he died on the cross for my sin. He is my sacrifice for sin. And he has risen again the third day according to the scripture. And he is alive. And because he's alive, Lord, I pray that you quicken them and bring them to life as they call upon the name of the Lord. And the Bible says they will be saved. Lord, I pray, God, if that is going on in someone's heart, Lord, that you would continue that work as only you can do, and Lord, that you would usher them into an environment like HBF or a Bible-believing church where they can be nurtured and they can be fed the Word of God so that they can face this world and grow through the hard knocks of life to realize that God has not just delivered them but saved them to be a deliverer. Oh, Lord, may we not just be thankful for our fortune, but may we use it and leverage it to see other people become saved and delivered themselves. Lord, Heavenly Father, multiply the blessings on us, not for our sake, but for your great name's sake. We thank you and we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.